The Gospel according to Luke, the 24th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and I see I am sending upon you what my Father has promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we got? Bible and a newspaper, although this is the opinion section. As there's been a significant increase in COVID cases and we are wearing masks at both services again, as hospitals and ICUs seem to be filling up, and I'm hearing from many of our health professionals that they're seeing more and more patients, as we see some breakthrough, as they call them, infections, you might wonder if our sermon series, Out of Exile, is premature. With this setback, one might wonder, will we ever be free of this? And then there's what's going on in Afghanistan this morning and in our cities and in our homes. No matter what one thinks of the new directive from our health department, what you think about masks and their effectiveness, how worried or not worried you are, our patience is running thin. But I wonder if the Jewish people also were tired and had trouble believing that they would ever get to go back to their homeland, to, get, to go back to normal. Of course, those people had been there for 50 years, so they didn't know any better or different. I wonder if they had trouble believing that their exile was truly going to end. I imagine we can relate to this when it comes to our COVID-19 kind of weird exile. It was, in fact, the first pastoral task of the prophet speaking to the people in exile to preach God's promise and call on them to trust and believe. Hear this, hear this well. Before they could be redeemed, or would be, not really could, but would be redeemed in the sense of a geographical going home, the prophet pastor needed to awaken their faith and trust in God's powerful and promised word. This is why I love this section, this middle section, 40 through 55 of Isaiah. It's gospel. 
It's assurance, it's promise, it's declaration. And it's no surprise that the prophet's message to the people in exile ends with these words of assurance that you probably know all too well, as you should, but you probably don't know that that's where they're spoken. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth in Isaiah 55. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and prosper the thing for which I sent it. The word does the same thing for us daily and each Sunday. It comes to us and gives us belief and life. That's the purpose of the word. I wish more people understood this about the ministry of the church. This declaration, this promise, this good news, this assurance, this word is what the church has been gifted with to give to the people, to God's people, to all people of the world that they might believe and trust in the goodness and graciousness of God. The word creates and sustains faith. And we definitely need that word today. This pastoral prophet in Isaiah assures the people that they would indeed be set free, liberated, physically. Cyrus of Persia will come and wipe out the Babylonians, and Cyrus had a different way of dealing with other peoples, and he said, you guys can go home, and this well-documented in the historical books of our Bible and here in Isaiah, that that's what will happen, and that's what does happen. The Babylonians will be taken care of, and the people will go home. But that is not all. There's more. In fact, as we look today at the songs of the suffering servant that appear in this middle section of Isaiah, we see that something more, something greater is proclaimed than just a return home from exile. In these poems, Songs of a Servant, this mysterious servant figure, there is an even greater work that God is doing. It's so amazing that here, away from the Holy Land, on the shores of the Tigris and Euphrates River, in the midst of great world powers of Babylon and Persia and the Syrians before them, God gives a word that is completely opposite of human wisdom and understanding. If you listened to that passage in Isaiah that was read to you and you had some things that stuck in your craw, good, you should. It doesn't make sense. It is offensive to our human nature. That God would bring about redemption, not with silver and gold, not with weapons of warfare, not with human ingenuity or worldly might, but through a humble servant, the opposite of the way we would think. A human being so undesirable that we wouldn't even want to look at him. Through a figure who would suffer for our sake. In essence, this is what the prophet is saying to the Jewish people in exile and to us in our current circumstance. That there's a greater need 
for redemption than what we think. In other words, there's different kinds of exile. Yes, the people were enslaved kind of in Babylon or away from their homeland, but there is that exile, but there's an exile, a deeper, more pervasive, more powerful, more harmful exile that God is addressing now. To all of us, as we live in a violent world, in communities that struggle to function, in family systems that are often dysfunctional, yes, God desires to bring wholeness and liberation, but that liberation not only comes to us in a way we wouldn't expect, but is of a different kind than we think we need. You know, I'm going to say that sentence again. To all of us and all of our brokenness, God desires to bring wholeness and liberation, but that liberation not only comes to us in a way we wouldn't expect, something that Luther called the theology of the cross, that God comes to us in the opposite way we would expect, but is of a different kind than we also think we need. You see, it isn't the Babylonians or the Persians or the Greeks or the Romans for which we need saving It isn't the person, group, or thing you think is the source of all your problems. The people on the other side of the aisle or whatever it might be. Or that neighbor you can't get along with. It isn't that or this or that that is outside of you. What needs redemption is what you see in the mirror every day. We like to posit the problem outside of ourselves, but in truth, the ultimate problem is not the Babylonians, but to use the language of our song today, inequity. I'm sorry, not inequity, but iniquity. Transgressions, going our own way and going astray, and certainly inequity too. That is the real problem. You, I mean, I'm dating myself here, but you remember Michael Jackson's famous song, right? I'm looking at the man in the mirror. Well, that song gets it half right. It, gets, it rightly names the problem. It's who we look at in the mirror each day. But it gets the rest of it wrong because it assumes that we can fix the problem, that our hope rests in human fortitude and effort. I'm going to make a change. I'm going to do it. The biblical story and the exile and our continuing brokenness and broken world shows the futility of this path. So we get it wrong on two accounts. Who and what the real problem is and how it can be addressed. Now, go to what Jesus said to his disciples after his resurrection. You heard it today. When Jesus met the disciples on the road to Emmaus, the disciples, unknowing talking to the risen Jesus, tell him that they had thought Jesus was the one who would what? Redeem Israel. They don't understand the depth of redemption. They think that getting Israel reconstituted as a nation and getting rid of the Romans is what the Messiah was come to do that kind of redemption. And they can't fathom that the cross 
would be the pinnacle of God's redemption. And Jesus' response, we all need to take to heart. Listen to what Jesus says. Oh, how foolish you are. And how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had declared, like the prophet speaking to us today in the middle part of Isaiah. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. Luther says it so beautifully this way in the small catechism. He says, Jesus is the one who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature, delivered me and freed me from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil. That's the ultimate exile. Not with silver and gold, but with his holy and precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death, in order that I may be his, live under him in his kingdom, and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. Even as he is risen from the dead and lives and reigns to all eternity, this is most certainly true. So how does this help us in our earthly exile experiences? Well, it reframes the problem, doesn't it? The real problem is our sin, is death, and is our enemy. And Jesus has defeated those He's given us the victory in the faith of our baptism. He defeats them every time we repent and he forgives us our sins. And so it's kind of like when you know, a lot of people would call this then some kind of opiate to just keep the people, you know, languishing in their, their physical exile. How foolish and how ridiculous. Because you know this is what actually happens is that when you get freed from those real problems, from the fundamental problems, it begins to change us inside and then that change starts to flow out. Not from the top down, but from the, from the inner core out. And when you know that the, the war is won, you can fight the battles. I mean, so you can enter the difficult realities that we live in every day, whether it's in our families or in our jobs. I mean, I think about the peace officers that I know in our congregation. I think about the teachers. In our, you can enter the incredibly tough realities, the counselors in our congregation, and, and not give up. You can be the, the victim of trauma and not give up because you know the ultimate exile has been taken care of, and so you know there is hope. And so you don't give up, and you keep fighting the good fight in the moment. And here's the other way it helps us. To know that our Savior is with us. He takes on our diseases, our struggles. The one who calls us to keep loving and serving and not taking vengeance. The one who keeps calling us to keep engaged and stay engaged in the world went all the way to the cross for us. He is acquainted with our griefs and sorrows and diseases. There's an amazing portrait of the crucifixion from the Reformation day, and as many of you probably know, they were going through a kind of plague. 
the, the, the black plague, the one that killed so many people. And the picture of Jesus with all the signs of the plague upon himself. Well, that's how much God in Christ loves us. And it is opposite of what the way we think. But it's there that there is life. So no, Jesus is with you. He has won the ultimate battle, and so let's stick to it. Let's keep going, even as we see the depth of the brokenness of our world, because God has redeemed all. Amen.